You're listening to OnRamp, and I'm your host, Carrie Fisher. And I'm your host, Shane Blackshear. Two Christians talking about race. Because everyone needs a jumping on point. This is OnRamp. This is OnRamp. Hey friends, welcome back to the podcast. This week, we're talking about diversity. Yes, we are. (laughs) Take it, Carrie. (laughs) Specifically, when we're talking about diversity in this episode, what we mean is cultivating diversity in organizations, faith communities, maybe even our own personal lives, and why that would be something important or something to even think about or consider at all. And so... One of the things that I think about when I think about making sure that there's diversity on teams of people that I work with or in agencies is how many voices are represented and what blind spots do we have if there's certain people who aren't here with us. So often we've been accustomed in many places and organizations to not notice or feel alarmed if everyone on leadership is all white or maybe even all white and male. And although, as we've talked about various times, there's nothing wrong with being white or being white and male, um, it, there's going to be some, some overlap and experience there that might leave some things out. Uh, for example, in a, let's say in a church setting, I think about some of my friends who are white have no idea about some words and phrases that might be triggering Mm. or some, maybe like the degree to which certain days are important. I've been in organizations or groups. I'm not sure about faith communities where it's like not at all considered how we will celebrate MLK day, for example, you know? And so maybe that doesn't feel important, although maybe it should feel important to all of us as Americans. It might not have been something historically or that you've been socialized to be aware of or thankful for as a white person. And so if we've got a room of people, well-meaning, loving potentially, but who just don't even know how you would celebrate MLK day or in Texas Juneteenth, the day when uh, slaves were informed of their freedom a little bit late in Texas, about two years late, Uh, you know, then it would be hard to figure out how to celebrate that, how to be sensitive about it. And so it would be really helpful to have a person of color on that decision-making board or in that room. So that would be like one of the first examples I think of. What, What about you? I think the first place I go to when I think about diversity is diversity in the church, mm-hmm. um, just because that's where my brain is most of the time. I'm those of you who, if you listen to my other podcasts, you know I'm not on staff at a church, but I'm really involved in my church. And and frankly, a church should be the most diverse place. Mm-hmm. I, I have to mention a book called Disunity in Christ uh, by Christina Cleveland. She's an amazing thought leader in in um, the area of diversity and, and race. Um, that book, Diversity in Christ, like really opened disunity. my eyes. Dis, yeah, <laughs> Disunity in Christ. And I think when we talk about diversity, especially in church, I, I think most people think of it like they think of 
$20 in their pocket. Like if I came to you and said, would you like $20 in your pocket? You'd be like, sure. yeah, that'd be nice. That'd be great. Sure. Why not? But but do you need $20? No. Is it yeah. going to change your life? No. Probably not. Yeah. Probably, probably not. But what I came to realize was just how needed, like in the real sense of the word needed, mm. like we need diversity. Like we are worse off when we don't have it. And frankly, we're not the body when we don't have diversity. That's right. And I think it's really important the way you're saying we and the way you're saying need, because I think so often what we can get in our brains when we hear about diversity is like, well, that's the way to serve them. Those other people (laughs) is to make sure that we get a person of color, you know, in this church or on this board or as an elder. And it's not only or maybe even primarily about what it does for the people of color, although there certainly are perks. Um, It has to do with all of us are missing something if we don't have the full body of Christ represented in our life in some way and hopefully in our churches and in the books we're reading and at every level because we're missing out on parts of God's story and we're missing out on parts of human pain and human joy and struggle. Um, I have, uh, this is, I guess, a weird story for me to relay as a person of color, but I have a good friend who's white and she always tells me the thing that <laughs> I most learn and appreciate in my relationships with people of color is this sort of abnormal amount of grace. When I hear about the sorts of things that they're hearing every day, when I hear about the way people have hurt them and they maintain relationship with them, I'm able to experience a grace that when I put myself in their position, I wouldn't be able to, to do, I don't think. And so, you know, I don't say that to say people of color are definitely more gracious than white people. That's not the aim of that story, but it just, we do know that the more types of experiences and, and I really particularly think brushes with suffering that we're able to have among us, the better it is for all of us in terms of um, having rich life experiences and understanding God. Mm. Yeah. It just seems to me that we are, we're just better together Mm. and even from, and you probably know some more details about this, but it seems to me from all the things that I've read, even um, secular organizations that are more diverse are objectively better at what That's they right. do. That's right. More productive. Morale is better. Um, there's a lot of research that supports that diversity uh, actually does work. And that, yeah, it actually yeah. is, once again, is not just... Uh, better in terms of, oh, we used some affirmative action and got some people moving up the path um, in their own minority communities. But actually that, you know, for one thing, there's more diverse thinking that happens. And mm-hmm. so people are able to create creatively come to solutions and have more understanding about, you know, customers, clients, whatever field that you're in. And so um, it's not hard to believe, but it's good to have the data out there. <laughs> just seems like God wants us to be together. Yeah, I think that that's what we can take from all this. 
someone who I've gotten to know over the past couple of years because we've been writing a book together. His name is John Perkins. You and I have talked about him. <laughs> Little name drop. Little, yeah, that's right. It is, but it isn't because it's a shame that not more people know about him. Everybody go Google John M. Perkins um, and his book, Let Justice Roll Down. One of the things that he said is that Jesus said to go into all the world, but we've not gone into all the world. We've gone into our the world that looks like us, mm-hmm. basically. I think we've really, really lost something. I feel like in past episodes, we haven't really uh, talked that much about church and stuff. And we're really laying it on thick, but but it, it's coming from an organic place. But that it is diversity is like the fullness of the gospel. And so to not have it is we're actually missing out on something that is part of the gospel. Yeah, and I think it makes me think as we're sitting here that you know, we often uphold marriage as a sort of beautiful sacrament and a way that we know God and ourselves better. And I think that's uh, partially, I'm saying this as a single person, but partially because we can grow a lot through discomfort and being made to see ourselves differently and Um, having to consider someone else and their Mm -hmm. perspective. And I think that sometimes we undervalue because part of the reason that we sometimes avoid diversity is maybe not because we don't want people of color at the table or women at the table, but just because it seems like a lot of work and also to, to recruit and make that happen. And then also it means that when we're really sitting there in the room, we're going to have to hear someone who might not, talk about things the way we've been talking about it or vote the way we've been voting. And I I think that maybe we don't recognize enough how much a call of Christianity it is to be uncomfortable and Mm. to have to compromise and to have to try things that are different than the way I want to do it and have always done it before. So... And yet, at the same time, when I think about, like, the joy that has been brought into my life through relationships with my friends who are people of color. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It is so, in that way, it is effortless in a way. In in the way that, you know, you and I right now, like, we're having this fellowship and it's a beautiful thing. And it's a thing that I look forward to and I enjoy and it brings me joy and also it is doing the work in me of reminding me that the messages that I have been sent by through media through culture or whatever are wrong and my brain is being rewired that's right. just through the joy that we are having in the fellowship with each other is a big deal. Yeah, I'm really glad you said that because I didn't mean to make it sound like it's going to be a real drag when you start <laughs> inviting different people around. I mean, it could and you should be okay with that. But also, there's some real... Well, I think that it is difficult, especially for for white people who have are so used to privilege, um, to in a sense lay that down. We, I, I don't like to use this term because I think it's been overused in certain circles, but the idea of like making more room at the table. Mm-hmm. And so this, this idea that, you know, the table, the place where whatever decisions are made or fellowship happens and making room, 
all metaphors break down at some point. I think sometimes we just need to go ahead and get a new table because it needs to be everyone's. Because a lot of times the way we look at it, especially people who are in the dominant culture say, you can come to my table. That's right. But it's still my table. And we're going to do it my way. We're going to do it my way. That's right. That's right. And then it becomes the tokenism thing that we invited someone who's different than us. We're not actually going to take any of their ways and yeah that's right norms into consideration but we allowed them to come and be with us yeah and often times what we're saying is like as long as you act like what i think a white person should act like you can come here right that's right so you know again with the metaphor of the table it's like well let's go get a table together because yes. instead of you having to be a guest at my table yeah um, i think that's great And I think that that's so consistent with, again, the gospel and who Jesus was and this idea of like laying down our lives for each other is beautiful. And I have to say, as a white person who's been given just immense privilege and being part of a dominant culture, I think it is incumbent on us a lot of times to take that first step of the first step of like laying down position making room for us all to sit around the table. Yeah. And I think that it's important to say that you never want to have a sort of white savior myth. And so I don't want it to be like heard in this way, but beyond just being equals and getting from one another and being co-laborers, there are still a lot of racial injustices, social justice issues where we really need to be like allies across colors if there's going to be uh, peace if there's going to be change and reform and so it's not even just about joy and local decision making it's also about if there's going to be like big nationwide worldwide sorts of changes um we're gonna have to come together uh if for people of color we're gonna have to trust and appreciate uh, and um be open to the notion that there are white people who are trying to trying their best and trying to learn and trying to give up some power. And for white people, I think giving up some of that power and figuring out how we can, how you can be co-laborers with people of color in some of the social justice issues that are still going on. And that that only happens if we are sitting at tables together and having conversations and making decisions and not just in silos. You mentioned before, like, just how gracious people of color can be. And that's absolutely been my experience. And I think that when we talk about diversity and people coming together, that there's probably got to be a lot of grace there because there are just things, you know, like, I'll just speak for myself. Like, I hope that I always have pure motives, but... Uh, I'm a simple person, so I'm going to say stupid things every now and then. Right. And and there is probably some unconscious bias in me. There is some in my darkest places, probably some racism in there. Sure. And so if that comes out, I need that grace and I need to be called on it. But when you come together, at least in the beginning, it, it, it can be messy. I guess is what I'm trying to say. It definitely can. And I think that, you know, we're talking over the course of this podcast around microaggressions and stereotyping and all these things. And um, 
even for those of us who are interested in being aware and for laying down some layers and privilege and stuff, we're all going to make mistakes that are sort of, um, you uh, could be considered harmless. And then I'm glad you mentioned, we're also going to all be coming from some sinful places where just sin comes forth. And so there has to be um, a real commitment to grace and understanding on both ends. But don't forget the joy and delight like we're having right now. <laughs> <laughs> good word. Good word. I-, I wonder if there's anything you feel like we should say for people. Let's just, we'll take it back to the church since that's what we've been talking okay. about. For people who are in a church setting and it's not diverse, like what steps we can take and, and maybe from a uh, from a black perspective or a white perspective, like what you think steps we can take to be more diverse, to, you know, kind of push against the homogeneity? That's a good question. I think maybe, yeah, if you're in a church that's pretty uniform in terms of race at the moment, some of it probably starts on the individual level of reading and making connections outside such that you just have some awareness around um, sort of what's going on across racial lines and what's, what are hot topics, what, you know, potentially what are areas of interest. But I also think being an advocate, uh, being the person who's bringing up, you know, sometimes this never gets brought up in a church setting that everyone looks the same here. And so being the person who notices and mentions everyone looks the same here. Do we feel okay about that? And especially if the situation is everyone looks the same here. And when we go and do mission trips or something, we're doing it for people of color. So we're sort of reconfirming this notion of maybe internalized inferiority and internalized superiority And so um, I think being the advocate and then also being really willing and creative around, you know, can there be, sometimes it doesn't make sense to say, let's try to figure out how we can wrangle a couple of people of color into this church or how we can figure out how to bring a couple of white people into this congregation of color. But I think doing some more things that are mixers if you will you know where white churches get together with black churches because you know i think there's some communities of color that would say you know in a world that's really challenging for me a lot of time it sure is a relief to get to be just with people of color on sundays absolutely and so if a bunch of white people come barging in for the sake of like diversity it might actually be the opposite of their intention but maybe if there's some shared breakfasts and you know i've heard of pastors who get together with across different with a lot of diversity um i've heard of sort of mixer opportunities where you know maybe then organically at some point it does become that there's some meshing on sunday mornings but even if there isn't there's still diversity in the sort of global church the big c church maybe Hmm. so that's what i would say i think it's great i think several things you said i can imagine for a person of color who uh, is a part of a predominantly black church, I, I can I can I have every sympathy for them when they say or think, you know, I live every day of my life as a minority culture. 
Mm-hmm. I've got this one space where I'm part of dominant culture that's hard to give up. And I've got every sympathy for that. And so I think that's part of what I was trying to say earlier, but not very well, is I think that for those of us who are part of the dominant culture, like it's, it's, I think it's really important on us for us to take that first step, laying it down yeah, and initiating that, that kind of thing too. And I think checking in is important and also tricky. You know, I think that um, it's important to sort of, when we feel like we're doing the work of diversity and integrating things like that, it can be important to check in and see if the thing we think we're doing is what we're doing. But also I think it's really important that when we achieve some amount of diversity, um, that we don't have a sort of burden on people of color in a room to speak for everybody of a certain color or to um, be in charge of, the diversity things in a church. So it's like, okay, we've got this group of elders and now we've got a black person and a Hispanic person on it. Guess who's going to be the diversity committee, (laughs) the black person and Hispanic person, you know? And so maybe that's something that, that those people want to do. And maybe they ask for that type of leadership, or maybe they were really hoping that they were brought on because of their theological knowledge or because they, um, you know, we're valued in, in some additional way, even though, even if they were coming just as that perspective of, as a person who's different than what a lot of other people in the group are, are offering that, that would be valid, but just assigning and assuming that that person is going to take up the cause of people of color all the time yeah. or make this church more, um, people of color friendly. That's not their role and responsibility yeah. necessarily. Those are all really good points. I think too the idea of of leadership is really important too. And you know, so for all those who, people who are out there, if you're you're a white person and part of a predominantly white church and you want to be more diverse, well, I think making your leadership more diverse is a really good way to do that instead mm-hmm. of inviting a bunch of people of color to sit under the leadership of a bunch of white people. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think it's really important for us to ask those questions when, when it's time to hire a new staff member, you know, the three or four existing staff members are all white men. And I think, I think that's what I was trying to refer to earlier, maybe when we first started this episode, but that diversity just in and of itself is an asset. Yeah. That is a thing to consider when hiring people, when putting people on your lead team or your elder board or, you know. Yeah. And that's not racist. I think sometimes, right. you know, when, I'm surprised we haven't talked about this yet and maybe we'll try to jam it in a bunch of other episodes, but you know, so many of us have been heavily socialized that we should be colorblind. Right. And that any time that we ever consider someone's color, we are sinning and being racist. And so certainly if we were saying, hey, we need some more color on this leadership team, I think some of us feel achy stomached whenever we think about that because it feels like I'm noticing someone's color and then I'm doing something based on that color. And I think that um, we were sort of done wrong in that socialization that we're never supposed to notice color and we're never supposed to utilize it in any way. And so that's some unlearning that some of us have to do. 
And it's not the same to say I'm choosing someone only because they are black and I have no relationship with them or something like that. Or to say, you know, we've got this person who's been a faithful part of our community and there's no telling uh, what similarities or dissimilarities they might have to the ways that we're thinking about other things. And so that would be a valid perspective to have just because we don't have enough of that right now. That's right. That's Mm -hmm. right. And also then not to just say, um, not to check that off the list, because I think that's right. really where we run into like tokenism, right? That's right. Uh-huh. And to think like we're done here with with uh, diversity or, you know, racial reconciliation, uh-huh. all that. Yeah. You know, I think there's some studies that show that white people tend to uh, over predict how many people of color are in a given place. Mm. And so I think that's something to be aware of when we're putting together teams and thinking about diversity, because a lot of times I know even for myself who grew up in a predominantly white place and went to a predominantly white college, when I got to that college, I remember thinking there are so many people of color here. (laughs) And when I looked it up, there was like 17%. And so to me, it seemed like, man, this is like a half and half university. And it wasn't anything close to that. And I think we can do that. You know, if we've mostly been used to being in uniform uh, churches in terms of race and then we get like a couple of people of color or a couple of women on a team or something, it's easy to say, yeah, let's, you know, clap our hands. We're done with figuring out the race thing. When really, you know, if I have a church of 300 and I have 25 people of color and one person of color on leadership that may or may not match the sort of ratios that we would want. And and not that it has to be a math equation, but just something to consider is that I like what you said about, we should never really think that we're done with diversity. We should always be asking questions and being culturally humble. So, yeah. But I think that's so, that's such an important thing that you brought up because I think that we all probably have a different idea of what diversity is. And we think if we're not a hundred percent, whatever race the more diverse yeah. and and that's that's pretty silly there's some organization out there and I, and I wish I knew but um, that it's out there for just championing championing church diversity and basically what they consider diverse is a church that doesn't have 60% or over 60% of one um, yeah I mean race I think again like I think it'd be just as wrong to get to that 60% number and say we're done there. But <laughs> but uh, that does make some more sense mathematically than some of what would be natural for us for a lot, you know, a lot of us. That's right. Okay. All right. Diversity. Go be diverse. <laughs> Simple. That's it for this week's episode of OnRamp. Be sure to subscribe, rate, and review OnRamp on iTunes to help keep the show front and center. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time.